0: go through the scriptures a little bit and, and just kind of try and uh, show us and teach some of the things that we may or may not know. In verse 21, it starts out and says, and when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was even conceived in the womb. And when the days of, for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. When you look at those verses, first of all, eight days. Jesus was eight days old when he was presented to the Lord and circumcised, when circumcised, I should say, and he was given his name, Jesus. It was official. And the eight days of circumcision has a long, 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 long history in the nation of Israel. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 17, when God was making that first covenant with Abraham, the father of the Jews. One of the things that he said was, all of the males will be circumcised, and this will be a covenant between you and me. And if they are not circumcised, they're not part of the covenant. So that goes all the way back before Moses, all the way to Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. And then in Leviticus chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, God is now speaking to Moses, and he is giving Moses the law. And part of what he gave in the law was a continuation of circumcision. That the male children are to be circumcised on day eight. Day eight. Why day eight? I mean, if we have babies and we had them circumcised, most of us didn't wait till day eight. What was significant about day eight? And to understand that, you need to understand the purification under the law of the woman who gives birth to a child. That woman. If it gives birth to a male child. The purification requirement by the law. Is seven days. She is considered unclean under the law. For seven days. And that's when the baby then can be circumcised on day eight. And then. They're not considered totally clean. They have to go another 33 days before they are considered pure in the eyes of God. So a 40-day time frame takes place before they could actually go to the temple and offer up the sacrifice for the purification and presentation, in this case, of Jesus. He wasn't circumcised at the temple. Okay, that took place on day eight. Now, just as a point of interest, and I don't understand the reasoning of God in this, if you had a female child, those numbers doubled. If you had a female child, you were not considered pure until 14 days had passed, and then another 66 days in the purification process occurred. And notice in in verse 22, it says, their purification. You know, we understand that Jesus was sinless. He wasn't born with the original sin of man because he was conceived and married by the Holy Spirit. But yet the significance, I believe, of him, them saying it was their purification. Jesus was already identifying, even as a baby, with what he came to earth to do. And that was to deliver us from sin. This whole purification process is a picture of dealing with sin, uncleanness. And it says that... and. The days of their purification, Jesus was presented to the Lord. Now, in my Bible, and I think up here, you'll see in the larger print, it's quoting from the Old Testament. The presentation of the Lord, or to, to God, by, of Jesus by Mary and Joseph. Presented to. Where does that come from? If you look in, in Exodus chapter 13, 1 and 2, which is being quoted, It says the firstborn of both man and beast belong to God. And then it goes on and says the males belong to God. That firstborn male belongs to God. So we see Mary and Joseph being and demonstrated the fact that they're devout Jews. That they are devout Jews. They love God and they're following the procedures of the law. In verse 24, and it says, they came to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. So what were they supposed to bring? What's quoted here talks about (coughs) two turtle doves or two pigeons. Actually, the law that was originally given first asked for or demanded that a lamb be sacrificed in this process the process of purification purification and the dedication. A lamb was to be offered. However, and I think it's significant in the fact that it just reaffirms to us when we see these things in Scripture that Mary and Joseph were just a couple of poor peasant people, normal people, normal country people from Nazareth and Galilee. Because it says in the Scripture in the Old Testament, if you're too poor... To offer a lamb, the law allows for that. And you could buy two turtle doves or two pigeons and offer them as a sacrifice. In fact, that was known as the offering of the poor. So we're seeing some things here about Mary and Joseph that we've heard before, but now we're hopefully seeing what those things are based on. And I think it also is going to help us in this big picture of trying to better understand the timing of this whole uh, birth, manger, manger scene, and eventually being sent to Egypt. The Magi came somewhere in there. All of those things that are taking place. I think if you look at this process... It just reaffirms what Casey shared a couple weeks ago about the Magi. The Magi never showed up at the manger. They never showed up the night Jesus was born. She brought up a couple things that showed that with the child and coming to a house. But think about this for a second. When Mary and Joseph were warned by the angel about what Herod's plan was, they were told to go to Egypt to be safe. There is no way, if any of that took place that night when Jesus was born, they'd have ignored the angel and waited 40 days to go to the temple in Jerusalem where Herod's palace was to go and dedicate the child. I believe it seems to me very clear that the visit of the Magi we're well after this dedication and purification. And also another thing that helps me to to think that way based on these scriptures is, what did they offer as a sacrifice? Two birds, turtle doves, or pigeons. I don't know how much gold, frankincense, and myrrh they brought But I know if there was very much at all, it would represent a considerable amount of wealth. And they would have been able to afford the sacrificial lamb quite easily. So I think this process to me shows very clearly, again, that when we think of this whole birth of Jesus and who came to the manger and all of that, trying to make this timing work in our minds, we need to understand what the Bible is really saying. Let's go on. We're going to go now with Mary and Joseph to the temple. Jesus is going to be presented or dedicated to the Lord, and they're going to make a sacrifice for the, in the purification process of Mary. And we know they got two birds. Go ahead to the next slide And they meet two people. And it's interesting in this whole story that these two people get brought into the story. There's a couple of things that really catches my attention and really really shows me again a little bit more about the character of God and the love of God. Because all of a sudden, in the middle of the story, which in a lot of ways seems to have nothing to do with the story, we meet a man named Simeon. And then we meet an older lady named Anna. The Bible tells us Anna is 84 years old. We kind of assume that Simeon is very old because of the promise that he had from God that we'll see in just a minute. But in the middle of the story, we're going to meet these two people. And we're going to meet them at the temple. Starting in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The man was righteous and devout. Righteous and devout. This is a good man. He was very righteous in the way he interacted and treated people, and he was very devout in his faithfulness to God and worshiping God. And it tells us, again, what he was doing. It's almost as if he had an assignment from God. I believe he had an assignment from God. I believe his time of worship and prayer with God, when he received this promise from God, He was busy in the process of the assignment God had given him. It says he was righteous and devout. And what was he doing? He was looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, if you have your Bibles, does anybody's Bible have a different word there than consolation? Go ahead and shout it out if you do. The consolation of Israel. That word consolation has some different meanings. But the primary meaning of it is comfort, joy, gladness, exhortation. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. That word encouragement is the same word in the Greek as the word consolation here. So what we're seeing is when you read this now, he is looking for the consolation of Israel. He is looking for the encouragement of Israel, the joy of Israel, the gladness of Israel. He is looking for the Messiah the one that had been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And as we go on and read here, I'm going to continue reading a couple verses. He's looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. It tells us very clearly how he knew who Jesus was the moment Mary and Joseph came walking into the temple. But again, I'd like us to just imagine a little bit again from what things that are said in the scripture. If he hadn't been led by the Holy Spirit and he was looking for the consolation of Israel, might he have been anticipating it for some other reasons? For example, in Luke chapter 1, we read about the birth of John the Baptist. And it says this was such an amazing event that Elizabeth, at her age, had this child, and they knew of the story of the temple when it was, they knew the whole story, and it says it was talked about in all of Judea that John the Baptist, this John, had been born. This forerunner, the one who is going to prepare the way. So if he had heard this, which would be very possible, as it's been noised and, and spoken about throughout Judea, he might have been really, his expectation might have been growing. It'd be kind of like us, as, as uh, Casey, Pastor Casey talked about a couple of weeks ago, the signs of the second coming, the return of Jesus. We should be looking and be aware and watching for the signs, and it should build even a greater anticipation in us, a greater urgency in us. So this could have been something that impacted Simeon. Another thing that could have, and some of you may not have (coughs) heard this before, but there was a temple flock of sheep. People didn't come from all over on these holy days and bring their animals with them. When they arrived, most of them bought the sacrificial lambs or the sacrificial pigeons and turtle doves. And so there was a temple flock out in the hills between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. The distance there is only like six or seven miles. And there were shepherds that took care of the temple flock, so they would have been the shepherds that would bring the sheep in because they would kill thousands and thousands of sheep on these holy sacrificial days. And many people believe The Scripture is not clear, but many people believe from what is written in Scripture that the shepherds that were in their fields watching over their flocks by night who had the angels show up and speak to them about the Messiah, the one who was born in the manger, could very well have been these temple flock shepherds who would have probably in all likelihood, when they brought the sheep into Jerusalem and to the temple, probably would have been talking about this amazing thing that had taken place in Bethlehem. I don't know. Interesting conjecture based on some things I have preached in the past and taught about where Jesus very likely could have been born, actually, and these particular shepherds but we don't have to wonder in the case of Simeon because it tells us exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit showed him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him. And we see his response. It's as if he sees Mary and Joseph carrying baby Jesus, carrying the couple of birds that they'd purchased to be sacrificed for his dedication and her purification. He knew immediately the Holy Spirit said, there he is. You've been waiting and praying for the consolation of Israel. You've been waiting and praying for years and years and years for the Messiah to come. And that's why I believe that was part of his assignment from God and his time with God, communing with God, and God made a promise to him at that time. And what was the promise? However old he is, he says, Simeon, before you die, you are going to see the Messiah. I think one of the reasons Simeon is put in this story for us is to see the faithfulness of waiting. We don't know how long he was waiting. But we do know he was in the temple. He was a righteous and devout man. And he was praying and waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the Messiah. And somewhere in there with his communing with the Father, Father God had spoken to him and made a promise Simeon I'm going to honor your faithfulness. You're not going to die till what you're praying for has come to pass and you'll see it with your own eyes. One of the things that does for me is encourages me and I hope it encourages you when we're waiting on the promises of God. Faithfulness. If God has made the promise, it will come to pass. It will happen. Some of us have been waiting for a long time for things that the Lord has promised to us. We're all still waiting for the return of Jesus because he's promised he's coming back. The older we get, the more we realize we can hardly wait for that promise of a glorified body that doesn't have any aches and pains anymore. All of these promises, and they're for us, and they are certain, absolutely certain, more certain than anything else you could know, the promises of God. And for the faithful, we will be blessed. The Holy Spirit reveals it to Simeon. And it's as if when we continued reading there, it's as if when he starts prophesying or speaking, he's sharing with us, starting in verse 29. The Lord, now Lord, you let your bondservant depart. It's almost as if I have been here praying so faithfully for so long. Thank you, Lord, that the assignment has been lifted. And I now can depart in peace knowing that you have fulfilled that promise that I have seen the Messiah, the promise of God coming to pass. And another interesting fact, I think, is found in verse 32, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Remember, this is taking place. Forty days after the birth of Jesus, he's just a little baby. And it's already being prophesied so clearly that Jesus came, not just for Israel. He came for them first, but from the very beginning, the plan was very clear, and Simeon himself speaks it, that he came as a light for the Gentiles, that the Messiah came for all people. There's so many things in in these little, what seem insignificant, interactions between Mary and Joseph, and in this case, Simeon. Promises are being fulfilled before our very eyes. Verse 33. Simeon now is going to speak, really promise. Maybe you'd even want to say warn. Mary and Joseph, and Mary in particular. In verse 33, it says, First, his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Now, we read these things, and it just goes right past us, and we just keep reading. But think about this for a second. How many things would be absolutely blowing Mary and Joseph's mind from the very first annunciation by the angels all the way up to this time? Everything taking place. And they're watching this. They're observing it. It's almost as like their characters in a play, but it's taking place right before them, and they're watching it at the same time. It's happening. And in this case, they walk into the temple, like many, 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 many other mothers and fathers would do, with their baby, to make a sacrifice, to dedicate the child, purification of the Jewish mother, because they all had to go through this. And all of a sudden, here comes this old gentleman, and he comes right up to them, and according to what the Word says, he just took the baby and held the baby. And I can only imagine the love that Simeon felt as he's holding the Messiah, the Savior of the world, in his arms, the one he'd been laboring in prayer for, for we don't know how long, but the promise has been fulfilled. And Mary and Joseph are looking at this guy, and i got to wonder, what were they thinking? When this guy, it's amazing to them the way people were reacting to their baby. The angels singing to the shepherds about our baby. All of these things. And it says they were in amazement. But then Simeon goes on and says in verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. With all the wonder, with all the encouragement, with all the blessing and excitement that Mary felt, I'm sure from day one, this had to be a little startling. This baby, the Messiah, the reality of what it's going to take is starting to be made clear, starting to unfold. And he says, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And if you would look up the word rise in your lexicons, you would see that that word rise means the resurrection. This baby of yours has been appointed for the rise and fall Jesus came and he's kinda like a it's kinda like a magnet. You know how a magnet is? It can repel some things, you can't make the them touch, and other things it attracts. And this is Jesus' life. It says it was his sign. If you want to look up that word, sign, you're going to see it's the word target. This is a target. He is appointed to be a target the rise and fall of this target to be opposed. Now, if they were amazed before, you almost hope they don't understand what Simeon's saying because it's such a heavy burden that they're going to be carrying. When when you think of Mary, first of all, it's interesting to me that He's talking to Mary. We really don't know what happened to Joseph according to the scriptures, but we do know he wasn't in the scene very long, evidently. And all the war- warnings and, and cautions and things are spoken to Mary. And I don't know, if I'm Joseph, and this is my wife. I'm wondering, what is going on? They're experiencing all of this taking place, and they're getting revelation, some revelation. How much they understood, we don't really know. But it kept saying, and they pondered this. Continually. When you think of Mary, all of the excitement, all the encouragement, try and imagine what burden Mary carried all the way through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. A mother. A mother. Watching all of these things take place in her son's life. Oh, there would have been moments of excitement. I can almost imagine Mary. How She must have felt at that wedding in Cana when Jesus all of a sudden creates a whole bunch of wine out of water and all the many other miracles that took place. But yet in the same time, in the midst of that, all of the rejection that he was receiving over and over and over. Not only was it Jesus' rejection in a very real sense, it would be the mother's rejection too. They're rejecting my son. They're trying to beat my son. They're trying to arrest my son. They're trying to kill my son. They did arrest my son. They did give him a mock trial. They beat my son to a bloody pulp, and they have nailed him to a tree on a cross. And he's going to die right before my eyes. It's hard to imagine what Mary was going through as she did all this. And then we get this one little two, three, four verses here. And it moves right from Simeon. As soon as he comes on the scene, he's gone. And next comes this little older lady named Anna. It says she's a prophetess. We don't know why they called her a prophetess. We don't know if she prophesied anything. She must have. But we don't know what it was. It says she's the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. This lady, how long had she been there? I don't know. But it literally says she never left the temple. Night and day, fasting and praying. And at that very moment, in verse 38, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak to him of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. I maybe get too analytical on some of these things, but I, I, I'm trying to think of a... So did she not tell anyone who wasn't seeking for the redemption of Israel? Did you just go to certain people that were like-minded, that they were looking and waiting for the Messiah? And again, it's a challenge in my own mind, but, you know, we need to be looking and waiting for the Messiah. He is coming back. He is going to return. The signs are all around us. We're to keep watch. With a sense of anticipation and expectation. Not fear. I believe again, Anna is put in here, it would seem, to encourage us about waiting. Faithfully waiting. And I guess if there's any one thing that that I would hope that we would get out of this, besides some of the details and facts that we may not have thought about before, it's an encouragement to wait on the promises of God. To faithfully wait. Think about the things that you're praying about and you're waiting on. Things that you may have really felt the Lord has spoke to your very own heart. And I believe we can hear from God in our very own heart. I believe he speaks to us in our brokenness, in our seeking him, and our speaking to him. Are you hanging on to those promises? Or are you giving up? I think we see Simeon and Anna deposited in this story about Jesus to encourage us to wait faithfully on the promises of God. He blesses those who are faithful in waiting for Him. And I could go on and I'm not going to. But I think it's so interesting to me, the way I think, trying to put together the events that took place around the birth of Jesus in these first few months, maybe even the first couple of years. In verses 39 and 40, which I don't believe I have on the screen, it says this, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, in other words, when they had made all the sacrifices according to what the law had said, they'd offered up the sheep, they dedicated the child, the purification process has taken place. When they have done everything according to the law, where did they do this at? In Jerusalem... Where was Jesus born at? Somewhere near Bethlehem or in Bethlehem. Then it says, when they had done all these things, they returned to Galilee in their own city of Nazareth. And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom and grace of God was upon him. When did the Magi show up? Where do they show up? Well, we know the scripture says you show up in a house, but where? We know eventually they're warned to go to Egypt so the babies don't get, so Jesus doesn't get killed when Herod, in his craziness, orders all the babies under two years of age to be slaughtered. Somewhere in here, it appears very likely to me, and I'm just sharing this because I'm interested in it, and you may not be at all, but I'm almost done. Forty days, they went to the purification, the dedication of Jesus, and it was all fulfilled according to the law that says they went to Nazareth, back to Nazareth in Galilee. And if you go back and look at when the Magi got to Jerusalem, and when they went and asked Herod, where's the king of the Jews been born? And he went to his scribes and the religious leaders and said where, and they all pointed to the Old Testament prophecy and said, well, Bethlehem. What does it say next that the Magi did? It does not say, what it does not say is they all ran out of Jerusalem, headed straight to Bethlehem. What it does say is they left Jerusalem and followed the star. I wonder where the star really took them. If that baby was almost two years old when the Magi arrived, it looks to me like they very easily could have been in Nazareth of Galilee. And then the warning came and they fled to Egypt. And if any of you are interested in those kinds of things like I am, I hope I've given you food for thought. For the rest of you that are, what is he talking about? We're going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for examples like Simeon and Anna. God, I pray that we would be like Simeon and Anna. God, that we would be righteous and devout. Righteous in our interactions and our behaviors with other people and devout in our faithfulness to Jesus Christ, our personal Lord and Savior. God, that we would be about what you've called us to be doing. Wherever you've placed us, wherever you've planted us, there we would grow and bear much fruit. God, that we would be faithful in our waiting. Father, that we would truly crucify our flesh and wait upon you that we might experience the f- the blessings of faithfully waiting like Simeon and Anna did. And Lord, I thank you for the story that we call the Christmas story. Lord, I even thank you that a lot of details are left out so that we don't try to figure everything out. That God, you are different than us, that you are all-powerful, Almighty, Everywhere God, you know everything. But Lord, I pray you would continue to draw us to your Word. That you would you would stimulate our interest by your Holy Spirit. That we would look into your Word and see what the truth of your Word says in all things. Give us revelation by your Spirit, and Lord. Once again, I just thank you that we could gather together here this morning, and I pray your blessing upon each one that's here. I pray your protection over each one that's here as they travel and drive home on these slippery roads. And again, we pray for those that may be coming back from Kansas City, so many in our body that are down there. We pray your safety over all of them. And Father, we just rejoice continually in the Messiah's first coming, and we look forward with anticipation to his second coming, knowing that it is just as certain